Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Not exactly clothes this week, it's more accessories. And my guest is a representative of an industry that apparently is now red-listed, which made me very sad to hear, but we'll get into that. Would you like to introduce yourself, Richard? Yeah, hi, thanks, Nick. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Richard Ince, and I run James Ince uh, Umbrellas, based here in East London. And you're not the first Ince to work in this company, are you? No, we've been going for 215 years now, so I'm sixth generation of the family to run the business. Um, so, yeah, we've seen a few changes, I guess, is one way to summarise that time. Does the history of the company weigh heavily on you? Uh, no. Um, I've, I've never had any pressure externally. So to, to, if it, you know, if it works, it works. If it, if it doesn't work out, then so be it. It's, uh, there's been no pressure. I I mean, I apply my, I probably put pressure on myself on a day to day basis to make, you know, to keep things, people keep things going and as best we can. But no, 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 generally no sort of pressure, but I do enjoy it. So therein, therein lies the, the answer. I think if you enjoy something, then it's, it's going to work. You know, got a better chance of making it work. Have you got a son ready to take over? Yeah, my son's my stepson's shirt. He's he's twenty nine. He's he's in the business. Um, he's yeah, he, he's different from me. So he, you know, we have to wait and see how that how that evolves. He's uh, he's not as hands on as I am. In terms, sorry, forgive me. He's uh, he's not as practical as I am. But you know, everyone's different. So we'll see. Now, umbrellas mm. for two hundred and fifteen years. Has the business changed a lot in that time? Um, in certain senses, of course, it must have. In certain other senses, no. Um, we've always relied on skilled local workers. Uh, we've always been a small company. I suppose at our peak, we had about 50 or 60 employees. Um, we're now 10, but we've been less. We've been in the middle there somewhere. Um, obviously, so no, not really. I don't think we've changed that much as a, because we're family. We're a family business. And I think with a family business, it has a, you have a different sort of relationship with your staff that you do with than maybe other people who are more remote from the, the company, should we say. Have you always been in the same factory? Uh, no, we've been in this present building for 26 years. Previous one was 10. Um, <clears throat> these were both proper factories. Prior to that, we were in smaller uh, multi-level more like shops with floors above um, or if you go back most of 150 years I we were probably working from home working from rooms uh, small scale but uh, yeah the mid to late Victorian time was when the business flourished and they were able to have proper factory not proper premises proper sizable premises it's quite fascinating to think back what the world must have been like in mm. 1805 compared mm. to today. I don't. I, I just don't think anyone can perceive it. Um, but, but the product mm. is kind of still the same. I think 
Yes. Yes, and you could if you went back. If you if you if I had all the the, the tools, but I could make an umbrella. If I, I'd have to sit there with a needle and thread to throw the, sew the seams, and I wouldn't have a drill, or I wouldn't have, you know, it could be possible without. But every, everything, yeah, back then it's very alien to now. But it's still the umbrella is fundamentally the same. It's still a set of, for want of a better word, arms. We call them ribs, supporting an octagonal canopy. And what were the main differences between the original ones from 200 years ago and today's be? Uh, I think the most fundamental change from a production point of view is the invention of the sewing machine. Um, uh, Mr. Singer got his, his he got going whenever that, I think it was about 1830, 1840 or so. Um, obviously, I have no idea how long it took to roll this out to all the small manufacturers. Who was first on the list to get the sewing machines? It must have been. There's a, there's a wonderful scene in um, Fiddler on the Roof where a guy, well, the little tailor, brings home his sewing machine to his little shed, shack, shed thing, and, he's, and all the village turn up to watch him make suits with the sewing machine because he knew it would revolutionise what he did. But they were all manual in those days and treadle operated. There was no electricity. So the sewing machine brought, it just brought the biggest change, I think, the biggest change. Um, yeah. I imagine it must have been a bit like when the first computers were starting to roll out, that it was the people, the really important people and the people mm. with money mm. who got them. It wasn't your no. guy on the street. No, I agree. So, so the sewing machine made the sewing of the canopies a lot easier. Mm. Yeah. Have there been other major changes? Um, the invention, in terms of the umbrella itself, um, the major change was the invention and of the steel umbrella frame and the steel ribs. So prior to uh, 1830, 1835, again, it's quite a pivotal period of time for our, in for our industry, that sort of earlier part of the mid-Victorian period. Um, the steel umbrella frame was invented and patented and made practical by Samuel Fox, um, who took the idea of, of, of sprung steel and formed it into um, ribs for umbrellas and he took the idea and ran with it and at his at his peak and I'm not sure when he was employing over 2,000 people in in and around um, Barnsley Sheffield so sort of up in South Yorkshire it was a phenomenal industry he had going but that would have been that brought in uh, umbrellas became lighter obviously cheaper um, and just more versatile than the previous materials which would have been cane and whalebone and of course obviously if you know these days people you tell people umbrellas were made of whalebone you think that there's no, that's a non-starter these days it wasn't actually whale bones it, i believe it was the um the filters that's in the whale's mouth i believe that it was then glued together yeah. and then cut into square sections so it was using corsets obviously that's right mm, but yeah whalebone and cane Whalebone for the small ones, so small ladies' parasols, and maybe up to a small like, walking umbrella with with a K, uh, with a whalebone. But sometimes there were bigger umbrellas. Um, so, 
which may well have been used had a cane, like a like a, a not bamboo, but but a, a cane as a, for the ribs. Right. Mm. Were there were there more different umbrellas back in those days? I mean, um, having having a walking umbrella and a lady's umbrella. I mean, I think nowadays, at least as far as I'm aware, you have an umbrella. I think. Which shows I me think up. back there there are fewer, but there were far more. Uh, you had far more choice within those fewer sections. So there, and it's such a big period of time to sort of drill to be specific about. But yes, ladies' umbrellas and gents' umbrellas. The golf umbrella wasn't invented till about invented. The sort of the wrong word, but it wasn't. It wasn't um, created until around about nine eighteen. 90 i think with the earliest the earliest record i have of a golf umbrella is about 1900 um but prior to that um there were ladies umbrellas gents umbrellas and things called carriage umbrellas which were used by the uh horses and horses and carriages so they would often um if you're lucky enough to go to a horse driving show or an event as like prince philip used to do you may find some of these glamorous old carriages with a tall conical basket attached to the side only about i don't know 20 30 centimeters wide and in that would be a a carriage umbrella now the modern the modern umbrella the, the modern carriage umbrella is we sell to the hotels so it's a it's about five and a half uh hang on i'll do it metric and imperial so it's about five five and a half feet wide so about 1.6 meters wide when it's open it weighs about three kilos it's sturdy brass components it's a real beast if that's the right word but but that's the modern day equivalent of our carriage umbrella and those those were the three sort of styles that i i would say you could see in a victorian umbrella shop the ladies the gents and the carriage umbrella so not a lot. A, one one equivalent of that today would be the ones that you find in the doors of certain extreme luxury cars. I don't know who makes them, but uh, uh, a Chinese friends, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> we'll get back to that. Um, <laughs> okay, if we um, have to. <laughs> <laughs> so now you make obviously very traditional umbrellas. Yeah. Um. But at some point, I guess we're already back to the Chinese friends right now, but um, at some point um, we moved away from the traditional companies, craft companies, mm. and there must have been an influx of cheap, uh, low-cost made umbrellas. Yes. When do you think that happened? Uh, the influx of Far Eastern umbrellas um, first arrived in the 1960s. Actually, Intriguingly, I've got an old archive book of ours dated, I don't know, 1928, 1930 or something. And in there, it's a list of our stock. And in our stock, we had some Japanese paper parasols. So we'd obviously imported, but it's obviously something we couldn't make, those those multi-ribbed paper parasols. But 19, yeah, it was the 1960s when the Far East got going. I think it was firstly Japan and then um, Korea and Taiwan and now China. Right. What sort of impact did that have on the industry in the UK? Uh, 
quite a lot. Um, at the time, there was a trade association in the in the UK. Um, I, I can't remember what it's called. I think it was literally the Umbrella Federation or something like that. And it eventually, essentially disbanded because of the imports. Members, the the, the move, the move, the the, the the federation lobbied Parliament, lobbied the government to put tariffs on imported umbrellas because we were at the time a labour intensive. Making umbrellas is labour intensive. You need people. They don't come out of machines. You need people. So in employing people, this was a direct threat to employment. So my grandfather lobbied Parliament on behalf of the federation to put tariffs on imported umbrellas, to which nothing happened. Um, members of the group, some of the bigger companies saw this was the way forward, went to the Far East and started importing. So there was a huge amount of distrust within the organization and it folded. Um, so as you can see, that had a knock-on effect, a direct impact to the industry, mistrust and uh, double dealings, I suppose you'd call it. But, um, you know, two or three of those companies are still going and importing umbrellas but you know <laughs> there aren't many left making no no there are in the uk no there's there are five there are five makers in the uk two of which concentrate on the uh corporate um multi-colored golf umbrella <clears throat> and they'd be which is which is a fairly big industry and it's right its own right that uh and there's two or three of us manufacturing for the top end retail and then there's a few more that are engaging in what we now have decided to call Brit washing, whereby yes, they indeed. look very much like they're making in the UK, but mm. yes, not actually. No, there are only yeah, that's absolutely true. But what can you do? You, you, <laughs> you just have to try and educate people. Yeah, I guess that's mm. where sort of explaining and showing that you actually do still make in the UK 215 mm. years on and you're doing reasonably well at what you do. Thank you. So who is the typical customer of mm. an Ince umbrella today, given that you have to be a bit of a specialist mind to even know about you? Well, that's a very good point. We, we, most of our business is um, white label. So we're supplying other brands. Um, that's where we've been in that position for, for a long time because through, through the eighties and the nineties, we were serving the corporate industry. Um, so we've always been selling an umbrella with somebody else's name on it, so to speak, whether it's screen printed on the outside, like a golf umbrella, like, sorry, forgive me, like a, uh, like a brand of a cigarette company or an insurance company, or we sew the label inside for, uh, for a gents accessories supplier or a, a Savile Row suit maker. We're, we're, I think people who, somebody once said, one of that, we had a new member of staff came to join us and he said, you're the most famous umbrella manufacturer that nobody's ever heard of. Because when he saw the list of people that we supply or have supplied, he was a bit taken aback. It's one of those, I'm sure there's other manufacturers in, in the UK in that, in that position um particularly with particularly with things like leather goods and, ha and 
and luggage and those sorts of things because there's so few people who can make due to mainly the skills, machinery, and just, yeah, essentially that, skills and machinery. That's a pretty perspect- uh, perceptive comment, really, isn't it? Um, but how does it feel to be making for other people most of the time? Would you mm-hmm. like to see more more ints out there? Of course. Um, and, who, uh, and, th- and who wouldn't? I mean, the... Uh, but... <laughs> It, at the end of the day, it's it's business. It's work. It keeps it keeps the it keeps the wheels churning here. Um, and it's 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 a tricky one. It's it's gaining it's gaining traction in those in those markets so that where people are prepared to pay those prices. And yeah, I guess we're a bit slow off the block with with marketing and um, and online retail maybe. But you know, we do. We do chip away and we do have some nice good we have some lovely accounts in europe now which is which we've developed over the last i think over the last five ten years really so <clears throat> now from a, a completely uh, objective point of view what would you say would be a sort of major difference between one of your original handcrafted umbrellas mm. and a really standard cheap low-cost one um Everything about it would be either subtly or greatly superior. So down to the finest details, the threads we use are made in Europe. They're um, they're quality tested. We know where they come from. They're traceable. It's that sort of those sort of angles. All our woods come from sustainable, traceable sources. So be it the shaft of our uh, or our wooden shafted walking umbrellas, or the handles. They're all from sustainable sources. Um, I think it's fair to say that not one umbrella out of the Far East can do that. Just that simple thing about it, for whether it's FSC or traceability. If they do, they, you're going to have to really study the, study the documents on that because as far as I'm aware, they, they, they would struggle. But, you know... Maybe they can prove me wrong, but uh, but yeah, it comes down to everything. The fabric, our fabric is denser. It's more. It's it's just a better quality fabric. Um, the stitching is stronger. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's by degrees. By small degrees, you create a much better product. It makes me very sad every time I see someone has stuffed a broken down umbrella in a rubbish bin, mm. and it strikes me that they must be so immensely cheap mm. and so quick to break that you realize when it's sort of yeah. gone inside out that it is just not worth looking at. Mm. But you don't really make the sort of type of collapsible briefcase umbrellas. Uh, we do. And uh, you can just see them over my shoulder there's some little folding umbrellas there oh sorry 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 listeners you can't <laughs> no i we, can we, confirm we, yes that, so we yeah we know we do we we make we make two uh what are generally called folding umbrellas uh the more compact uh bags we make one of around about 45 50 centimeters long and we make another around about 30 so the 45 centimeter one is is a man's umbrella it, the handle is uh a good sturdy crook handle um and it would go into an average 
average chaps um shoulder bag rucksack uh the smaller ladies um, made it's not the smaller compact umbrella will go into a handbag at 30 centimeters it's it's uh yeah uh it's i'm quite proud of the smaller small one particularly because it's um we've reassured to the uk handle making for that so we've, we have the straight handle turned by a chap uh in a shed in yorkshire with fsc beechwood so that umbrella is is the only i, I believe that maybe someone can get me wrong uh that is the only we are the only makers of uh, folding umbrellas compact folding umbrellas in the uk complete from start to finish i know there's again a bit of bit of bit of washing going on but sometimes we're the only people who make from start to finish for the folding umbrella right and is it possible to make them of such a quality that they don't end up in rubbish bins all over the place well i can assure i, I don't get many back i assure you um and we we offer the repair service so even if it does break it can come back to us for a repair a lot of the cheap ones won't have a brand, won't have a label in it, so you won't know where it's come from. So right, mm. because all yours have a certain warranty, do they? Yeah, we have. We we can repair them. So warranty within the year is a free of a charge repair. Beyond the year, we we charge a nominal amount to cover our costs. Um. Yeah, that's. But isn't that the way forward? Well, it does certainly show that you stand behind your product, that you mm. believe in what you're doing. Yeah, and. Uh, I mean, I'd love to buy something that I could have repaired at a nominal cost mm. for years to come. That sounds perfect. Well, th this was the norm, though. If we go back to pre-1960s, when, when there was a, an industry in the UK, to give you an idea, the London, the, London tele the London Directory for Businesses listed over 150 businesses involved with umbrellas. So that's manufacturers retailers and repairers 150 in london and there's now probably uh, retailers and and um makers there's five maybe six so back then repairing umbrellas was far norm far more normal um it's like repairing your shoes um some of the country towns the strangely enough the barbers in country towns would often repair umbrellas when I first started in this, in this business, we had three customers dotted around the country who were barbers who would repair umbrellas. It was for them when they were quiet. They'd sit at the back of the shop <laughs> repairing umbrellas. It's all gone there. So now. they'd all order spare parts from yeah. you, would they? Or? Spare parts and covers, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So pre-1960, was mm. there a whole lot more rain than there have become oh. in modern times? Or is it just the fact that people don't use umbrellas or just buy cheap ones? I've no idea about the weather. Um, I really don't know. I've never, I suppose I could study that somewhere. <laughs> study that somewhere. I, I actually <laughs> imagine there's more, more rain now, but uh, yeah, that's with the point. climate change. I think the bottom line is people walked more then. I think people were less in the cars. They they went about their business on foot more on public public I don't know. Wait, perhaps it was just lack of car transport, but umbrellas were used more day to day. Um, so 
I think you could be right on that score. I think usage just comes into play, but maybe don't know about the weather. I think you're right. It could be wetter now, but it's certainly milder now. So, mm. <laughs> now you mentioned you'd uh, you'd got a new recruit in your workforce, uh, and I mentioned just when uh, we were starting out that uh, umbrella makers are a red listed trade in mm-hmm. the UK now. Do you find there's much interest among young people in going into the umbrella trade? It's a difficult one to convey, I have to say. Um, it's very hard for people to research what goes into it. Uh, it's certainly not a glamorous end of the fashion and accessories industry, I have to say. But nonetheless, yeah, when this new recruit joined us, he was... He, he, he was he he was he's certainly been uh, uh, amazed with the, the certain industries that we deal with and some of the customers that we deal with. Some of whom I can I can talk about being some films and theatre work that we do. Um, so it's never dull. It's never dull. It's never a it's never a week of black umbrellas in here, uh, which is always good. Um, but yeah, trying to attract attract um, staff is is always a challenge. Um, I think, yeah, it's always a challenge. Mm. Well, we live in an age where every teenager wants to become a superstar influencer and uh, basically travel mm. the world for free. Yeah. So I can imagine that a lot of the traditional crafts are struggling to portray a glamorous I image so. that will attract. I fear so. But I think I think we've more chance with people who've been out in the real world, <laughs> smelt the coffee, and thought, okay. Let's let's be serious. Let's be realistic about it. And what what do I want to do? So I've gotten certain. Maybe they've got some skills behind them. But uh, no, we've 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 had um, a couple of Kickstarters join us. I'm not sure if you're aware of the Kickstarter um, uh, scheme in the UK of taking on yeah. young people who've been uh, unemployed for a period of time. But yeah, we've taken on a couple of young recruits. Um, uh, yeah, so that's 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 proving interesting. So they're just. I imagine a family business that's been running for two hundred and fifteen years must sort of give a pretty solid impression. You're, you're probably yeah. going to be around tomorrow as well, <laughs> God willing. Um, well, I hope so. Um, I hope so. It's difficult for particularly young people, perhaps, to come into this environment to perceive what makes a good business. Bearing in mind that one of them, one of them's. Yeah, they're sort of just out of college and just out of uh, uni, that sort of position. So their experience of, of, of being in a business environment, a manufacturing environment, is still very alien to them. Being, I think other people relying on them for something that they've got to produce or to achieve. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, but uh, yeah. Now, umbrellas must sort of fit into the gentleman's accessories uh, scheme, and that I get the impression that has been increasing over recent years that mm. people are looking more to, yes. they've got so many clothes and shoes that they're looking to spend on other things. Mm. Yeah. That's, do you think the umbrella is due an upswing? I think the umbrella certainly has had an upswing. Um, the, the growth that we've experienced in the last five years on the UK made, for traditional looking products that are well made um it's been it's been great in that sense obviously the, the last 18 months has been a bit of a 
kick in the teeth for that because prior to the pandemic, we were we were on a really good, strong growth. It, it was it was quite exciting, if I could be so <laughs> be so descriptive. It was it was really looking very positive this time at the beginning of twenty uh, this time in 2019, 2020. So were there mm, were there any specific types of umbrellas that were well it, gaining traction? Yeah, it, it was it was. It was you. It was it was men's umbrellas. It was traditional-looking men's umbrellas that were well made, with a bit of provenance, with a good uh, bit of heritage, maybe, or a good bit of just good feel about them. And I think it was gaining traction. It really was. So we look f whether that will regain, you know, for this time or this six nine months time. We'll have to wait and see. But it it was there, it was certainly there. We were doing quite well, but uh, there you go. <laughs> what can you do? Yes, maybe you need to collaborate with uh, with other guys in the same um, in the same similar field, because uh, I see stuff like pocket squares mm. also seems to be doing well. And uh... of course, yeah. But the, I think with when you've got yeah, with something like that, there's far more of a canvas to bring design and and quirkiness on small scale because pocket squares with you can be made in relatively small batches yes that brings a price but for umbrellas it's a bit trickier um if you want to bring a, a quirky kind of handle to the equation that needs research and development possibly molds possibly other other parts of the equation that would make a small run trickier trickier that makes sense. I'm sure the I'm sure the new reality TV generation would appreciate uh, umbrellas with their monogram on mm, the canopy. Exactly. So it was um, Harry. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fill, fill in the blank. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. That it, I think that's that's sort of um, realizing itself at the moment with with the gifting experience with engraving on retail on on the retail. Uh, situation um, whether I, people want to put their name or their picture of their cat on an umbrella is, is another matter there is a company actually does that will screen will digitally print a panel on, of something on an umbrella but there you go it's <laughs> it's not cheap <laughs> i really don't know how to respond to that i know i know quite but then you never know it, it might appeal to certain people who yeah you had a lovely holiday, had a lovely picture taken on the holiday. You can put it on an umbrella, and then you've got it in front of you to cheer up a rainy day. How's that for a concept? You know, okay. yeah, I guess so. Uh, you mentioned that you do work for theatre as well. Yes, um, theatre is the theatre. It's not the sort of um, industry that you could make a living at, but every so often you get an order that's. Uh, rather unique and rather uh, well for, as an illustration the um, the Mary Poppins um, stage show was launched back in about 2006 in the West End Cameron McIntosh uh, put together this uh, production to great success uh, and we supplied the props so it's not just the Mary umbrella it's all sorts of other umbrellas, pink for the ladies in their 
lovely dresses. It's umbrellas, a black umbrella for Mr. Banks. It's umbrellas for the children at certain scenes. So this this was great. I mean, we literally kit out about 15 to 20 umbrellas for, each, for the show. And then it went around the world. It went to it went global. It went to the US. It went to Japan. So that's Mary Poppins. Um, Singing in the Rain was a another one. Lovely bright silver umbrellas at the end of the finale, um, which some of your listeners may have seen. Um, that went around the world as well. Um, uh, the film, yeah, the theatre and film. It, we're currently doing a rather large order for the Estonian National Opera, which is a bit left field. But at the end of the day, um, it's about 150 umbrellas. <laughs> yeah, Lord. It must be immensely satisfying to see well, your work being used in that way. It, it's great. It's lovely. It's a bit of kudos. It's it's something to talk about because um, I, I caught a, uh, a conversation with, with um, one of your other interview interviewees, and he was saying what people describe you as a, a, a denim designer. We're, when you go to a cocktail party and you say yourself an umbrella maker, people kind of look, sort of uh, stop and think. In fact, I had a wonderful moment. I went to a comedy club here in East London about 10 years ago. And the people we went with put us, said, let's sit here right in front of the stage. And you know, if you're going to sit in front of the stage, you're going to get picked on. So the warm up guy comes out and he says, well, da, 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 everybody, blah, blah, blah. And he went to people and he said, put his microphone down to me and he said, hi, sir, what do you do? So I said, well, I'm an umbrella maker. And he literally turned to the audience and said, you've got me. He had no line. He had no banter. He had no Mickey taking. It was just, <laughs> so, yeah, that was, it was quite a, quite a great moment, actually. So even that got a laugh, of course, because he was, he, he was humble enough to admit that he had got no answer. But, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's umbrella, yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a real job, isn't it? And I find it, I grow frustrated with how many jobs today aren't actually what I describe as real jobs. We're just sitting in front of computers and mm. doing stuff which doesn't really matter. But actually making stuff, craftsmanship. I visited Michael May in Sheffield, and he's also been a guest on the pod, mm. and he um, he makes knives. Okay in in the old uh, works where they used to make well they were the first stainless steel cutlery mm. and they still have the old forge they still have the pounding oh, yeah. machines yeah. So they make damascus steel there and he makes pocket knives and kitchen knives and all this and it's so real and so crafted and well it's mm. proper stuff okay good I went to see a knife maker in Sheffield. Their name was Barnsley, and maybe your 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 contact will will know Barnsley's. And they their catalogue was just uh, unbelievable. They made all manner of different knives from from leather uh, boot knives, so for for making for cutting the soles of boots, right through to fish filleting knives. So the, you know that you can imagine back in the day the standing dockside the, the fish has been landed the fish wives are out and they've got these particular shaped knives and they're whizzing through the catch and getting it ready for market i fear the, the business that business barnsley's failed it, it closed about 
20, 25 years ago. But it was just this wonderful insight into this little industry. Obviously, a, a niche market within Sheffield with all its cutlery and plating and steelwork, including umbrella frames. I must actually mention that there were two umbrella frame makers in Sheffield, Barnsley. There was Samuel Fox, who, who were the big boys, and they, they, they majored on ladies and gents umbrellas. But there was another business called William Hoyland. And William Hoyland's um, made gents umbrella frames, and they also made golf umbrella ribs and garden umbrella ribs. So steel ribs, but on a bigger scale. And it was that's it was their umbrella, their products that enabled my business, this business, to thrive when the Edward, Edwardians found leisure. So, if you don't mind me following this thread, so around about the turn of the about the turn of the twentieth century, the Edwardians, after Queen Victoria departed this this world, woke up and thought, okay, let's let's get out of there, and they discovered golf and fishing and art and essentially the outdoors they discovered the outdoors and they needed shelter so the growth of this business was through though was we some of the pictures on our website illustrate this quite well because at the foreground of the exhibition photographs you've got the small ladies and gents umbrellas and then sheltering it are these wonderful garden umbrellas beautiful uh fringed luxury garden umbrellas um they weren't cheap it's a bit like where our industry is now. The garden and leisure industry was a was an, a, a rich man's a rich man's pursuit to have a garden and an umbrella, you know, a big big sun parasol, and that enabled this business to 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 grow essentially to where it to where it was at its peak of around about around about nineteen sixty when there was about forty or fifty people here. So that. So Sheffield and steel have got a lot, to, you know, it's really the cradle of a lot of industries, Sheffield. It's really quite, quite interesting. Not so much nowadays, I think. No, no. Interestingly, the two umbrella companies I mentioned to you before who are into the promotional industry, brightly coloured golf umbrellas, they're both in the Sheffield area. And one of them, has a di had a direct link to William Hoyland because their family used to run it. So that's it's a little a little play in. But yeah, is there a lot of competition in the British umbrella making industry, or are you kind of friends? Um, there's no enemies as far as I'm aware. Um, we just plough our own little furrows. Fairly, you know, certain people, some businesses was would target certain, so there's only three of us, so to speak, but just we have our own little niches, I suppose, is the best way to put it. We have our little areas, and we have our different markets. So, yeah, I don't, there's no enemies, not as far as I'm aware. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> Unless I've upset someone. <laughs> You'd kind of be the last to know. <laughs> I guess so. Hmm. <laughs> You you have been doing talks, I think, at schools no. uh, or historical societies. I no, I've you due do to, talks I, about umbrella history. I'm due to do one in March, um, but I haven't done one for a long about the twenty five years. 
So you're not a bit of an umbrella historian? Not really. No. Pretend? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know a lot about umbrellas. Yeah. But I don't know a lot about certain specific types of umbrellas and how they fitted into areas where people can have an expertise. So if you were a fashion designer or a historical heritage fashion designer and you and you understood trends and, and styles, I I wouldn't have that sort of insight. But if you showed me an umbrella and how I how to make it and how it was made, certainly the umbrella bit, maybe not the ivory carving or or the or that side of it, but the but if the um but if I could certainly unpick how it was made. So I'm more of a production, umbrella production historian. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did I ask you whether you still use a lot of the original equipment? We we no? don't. I've I've uh, maybe, maybe there isn't a lot of specialised equipment in making umbrellas. Well, there there, there is there is, um, but when you say original equipment. The majority, apart from the sewing machine and the invention of electricity to enable uh, the sewing machine to go faster and maybe things like electric drills, um, the, big, the big change came in the 1950s um, when the Germans um, started mechanising a lot more of the clothing industry. So companies like Durkop and Pfaff developed took they took they took they they invented or they they developed machines for sewing buttons on so particularly things like shank buttons which you'd find on a on a on a coat so that shank button is a a circular button with a little metal loop on the back of it that gets stitched to the fabric so they invented machines to stitch those on and from those machines they developed subclasses for the umbrella industry at the end of the day all that sewing machine does is either two stitches a certain distance apart or three stitches a certain distance apart. So the two stitcher was developed with attachments so it could attach the canopy of an umbrella to the frame of an umbrella at the midpoint of the radius. That makes sense. <laughs> Hopefully the three, st- yep. the three stitcher, will stitch the metal tips on. So these are the little metal ends that are the outside circumference of the umbrella. So they had these machines, they developed some extra clamps and a little bit of other gadgetry, and they started selling umbrellas into the European umbrella makers. So the 1950s with Durkop, and then latterly the 1960s with Pfaff, um, mechanized the industry. But as I was saying earlier, there we were in the 60s, going into the later 60s, and despite the mechanisation, people went to the Far East because it was still cheaper. <laughs> hmm. So looking at the business today, hmm. what does the future look like, apart from sort of obvious hiccups hmm. right about now? Well, in a way, it's encouraging because there's there's far more interest in uh in a, in, a, in a well-made product, um, certainly from a UK perspective, um, and it and it's it's 
it's quantifiable because you can demonstrate it. The product feels different. The amount of times I've had people say to me, this product feels sturdy. It feels strong. I like it. I trust it. Those are the sort of comments that come back for when people put an umbrella of ours in their hands. So that gives you every, every confidence that what we're doing is right. And so therefore there is a future to it. There is a future with it. Um, so it is it's on a, on, yeah, despite the last 20 months, whatever it is, it is encouraging. Um, so I don't see any too much cause for negativity. No, family business will keep rolling down generations. Mm. I mean, it's never, it's never going to stop raining. No, this is true. This is true. That's a certainty. It's not like lots of other sort of traditional businesses where mm. the whole reason behind the business just evaporates at some point. Of course. And there's a season for everything. I do, I've always, I always recognize that. Um, a friend of mine once said to me, oh, Richard, I don't need an umbrella. I've got Gore-Tex. <laughs> so it's like, fair enough. That's an opinion. But then, you know, he doesn't wear a, he doesn't wear a, a nice smart jacket. Uh, a tailored jacket he's more of a outdoor pursuits man so it, it's it's horses for courses isn't it it's horses for courses I suppose, I suppose apart from in edwardian times you wouldn't really use umbrellas for the sort of fell walking and no. uh no type of thing absolutely not though um no you wouldn't well you shouldn't it's a bit too blowy on the top isn't it really <laughs> but it'd be interesting but you might get pulled over the edge now there's a, been a sort of bit of a movement lately with um sustainability and people suggesting we should buy better and buy less mm -hmm. and buy better and buy once and so forth mm -hmm. is that anything that sort of impacts you at all or have you sort of always been there i think primarily offer, offering the repair service sort of um is a is a a great step forward in that um obviously it has to be done through the um through the through our retailers if that's where it is um so that brings um some issues about returning and this and that with with returns and getting it back to people but at the end of the day um sustainability is is obviously it's becoming increasingly important um i have to say i always i have been, always been sort of looking for new alternatives in terms of particularly the smaller details like the threads um yes we, yeah i mean fabric it's a difficult one fabric we've we've looked at the um the recycled polyester for example um and to be brutally frank it's 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 criminally expensive for us. What we found is it is it's, it's almost like there's a cartel operating on it. It just becomes uh, it's a non-starter when you apply the margin that the extra margin to the cost of the umbrella, and then you tell the retailer that it's got to go up. The price, the unit price, has got to go up. Often in the region of about thirty percent, they they do their price calculations. And say, oh, I can't sell an umbrella for that. So it's like, well, okay, we want to do something. 
it's, it's, it's so hard. It really is hard. Um, yeah. And I think I think even recycled polyester is. I mean, it's pretty debatable mm. whether it's any better than actual polyester. I think it depends a lot who yeah. you're asking. Totally whether you're agree. asking someone who's selling it to you, or someone who's taking a critical look at it. Uh, yeah, we have had. Um, we did receive a. a, a I was right. It was it was a bit off the cuff. We heard. A, I won't quote anybody, but the the comment was, "You can't trust." those certificates from i won't name countries but over there you can't trust them so where do you start so you have to think if you can't trust from over there we have to look nearer to home so what are our options with nearer to home well okay let's talk to our italian friends Uh, and that's where some of the prices came from it was just mind-boggling and you there's nothing wrong with our polyester that we use it's a good quality fabric it will last a long time it's got a a sun protection filter on it which we've had tested so that it's the the top wax so you can use it in the rain as well as the sun when you go on holiday um <laughs> friends of ours were recently in corfu and they're the three of them are on the on the on the on the harbor wall with the three umbrellas up in, in corfu last week you know <laughs> so if it was rainy or sunny <laughs> they were they were okay but it yeah. it i don't know would it's it's a very hard one i mean we're looking at we're currently looking at, at um uh, uh, an alternative um natural fiber product to see if we could market that um it's just bringing everything together in one package so if we if we could market this sustainable n- no no or really really low impact umbrella to our customers and see what they thought i've had i've have asked a few customers recently would this concept be of interest and and they both said yes mm. obviously i haven't confirmed price point at the moment so it may all fall away but you, at the end of the day there is a positive interest in doing things differently and if we could bring the same quality of build to it and using just better sourced product then i don't see why not why this can't be achieved just just what just one comment on the recycled polyester i heard um the daftest thing i've heard about that is that there was a company recycling bottles mm. into a fabric that they were using for their products but it was hard to find enough used bottles so they were buying new bottles to recycle uh. Yes, I think Which, I've heard that uh, story kind of too. <laughs> a few points missed there. <laughs> Shouldn't be laughing though, should we? Because it's it's tragic. It is. It's tragic. And I think uh, many of these industries have practices that uh, would make people despair mm. if they heard about them. Yeah, I think you're right. But we plough the good farrow, I fear. On, on the fun side, though, your three friends in Corfu on the seafront <laughs> with their umbrellas would have made a fantastic photo for your social media. It's there. No, it's there. It's on the Insta. It is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, that shows me. Well, I blame the algorithm. I didn't, didn't see it. Oh, well. Uh, anything you'd like to mention sort of in closing? We're coming up to an hour or so now. I don't think so. Um 
not really. I don't. I, I came to this as a bit of an open book, really. So yeah. no agenda or that's, that's fine. Um, I mean, it's been good. It's been good. Yeah. I know. I noticed just a lot of your the products that you um, blog about tend to be natural mm-hmm. colours, sands and browns and heathery greys and greens and things like that. It's interesting because those sort of colours don't really end up on umbrellas. So I'd be intrigued just to just to understand why. I mean, black umbrellas, of course, two to one for everything else probably, but the navy and but I mean, it's just interesting how people are prepared to wear a nice tan coat or, or a something like that in colour and or even a moss or a mustard. But the umbrellas always stay a bit safer, whether that's us not providing the, the range or whether it's coming from the other side and i don't know don't know just just could that <laughs> could that be sort of like all these business guys in their black coats and their black suits and their black shoes and their black bags and their black umbrella mm. it's a sort of oh. uh oh the choice is so difficult i'll just go with black yeah could be can't, can't fail but it's interesting because there's there's been noises about since everyone going back to work since lockdown to be more relaxed in dress code because I've heard these sorts of commentaries about that and whether, but whether they'll go back, revert to type, I suppose. <laughs> well, I mean, people have been saying, Oh, the suit will be dead now because uh, everyone's wearing jogging pants to mm. work or whatever. <laughs> but my impression is that human beings are utterly elastic. Sure. So at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about, Oh, we're learning new ways of being, this is going to change everything. And, uh, yada yada mm. uh once things quieten down people are just going boink back to where they were exactly before ordering their plane tickets uh, yeah i guess ordering new cars whatever oh. yeah but uh, mm. yes is there room for more adventurous colors in umbrellas now that is interesting i mean there's always been sort of multi-panel ones i suppose and especially mm. golf which yeah, tend to be a bit uh i think i think that flamboyant well, I think I think the market for that is sort of on the wane a little bit now. I think that's sort of the corporate to a point. I think most of them are toning it down and just being a little bit more staid, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think. That's I mean, I have seen umbrella makers making camouflage canopies. I always thought that looked pretty cool. Mm, yeah. Um, I guess I'm, so. I'm pretty sure sort of adventurous menswearists would go for uh, houndstooth variants or uh, herring bones. No, I suppose it depends what fabrics are being made. That that there there it is. It's supply and demand, isn't it? Because with supply, there's probably a minimum quantity. We d- we did run a Prince of Wales check for a time, um, so it proved fairly popular. But it was a slow mover. I, I, I'm not particularly sure why. But with the tartans are often uh, still remain popular, so we do a couple of tartans. So the the overseas quite like that, particularly. Of course, you could do an authentic line, get hold of the old whalebone uh, stuff, oh. and uh, use seal now, gut now. for the canopy. And <laughs> <laughs> I would be strung up. <laughs> Greta would be knocking on my door. <laughs> she wouldn't. She bless her. I mean, you have all this, this ve- vegan it. leather, yep. which is plastic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just be- being honest about stuff. I mean, leather is, in most cases, a byproduct of, mm. of our food. Mm. Of course. Um, polyester, not so much. No. At all. And that, of course, w- until they invent something else, that's finite. 
with the coming from oil. So you're going to have to invent something for that. There's, of course, also the amount of time you use something. Mm. Because if you, I mean, something might not be that great to make, but if you use it for a very, very long time. Mm, that's true. And that's more than two weeks before it goes in a bin, then maybe it isn't so bad. No, but it's it's deciding what that point of time is, I guess. And, but with the repair service, then it's it's it, it provides it provides that security of knowledge that you are buying with a long-term view, I suppose. I'll throw you a bit of a curveball here. Oh, what is the oldest ints umbrella you know of still being used? Being used? I mean, there's probably uh, some really old ones still existing. Yeah. I imagine there's some some guy in his country home still driving a Jensen Interceptor who's still using the one his father bought mm. in 1915. I don't think we can get anything that far back. Not officially, though... I did have a conversation with someone uh, last week. I have to say it was at a funeral, but that's irris- that doesn't bear any consequence to this. And he said that, Richard, he said, I've still got an umbrella, a golf umbrella, that your father gave me. It's great. It's, doing, it's really strong and it's really sturdy. Well, my father died in 1998. So that's at least 27 years ago. So is that a good innings for a golf umbrella? If it's, I mean, if the guy's a keen golfer and it has been used, yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. Oh, he uses it. He doesn't play golf. He's a vicar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's, it's, uh, <laughs> he's still putting but he might it down. Be, but he might, he might be graveside every so often with it or, you know, whatever. He may have a use for it other than what we know. So no, I don't think 27 years is bad, even for a freebie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good but it's an interesting idea isn't it i mean that's something you could put out on social media who has the oldest one and still using it mm. I, the, I have to i have to temper that by the fact that there was a time we weren't branding uh, uh that's the tricky so the, the company branded umbrellas with our edwardian victorian edwardian trade name in sonia from around about 1918 and that phased out, I think, probably in the, in the 1970s because the corporate market that we were serving weren't interested in our brand. Yeah. Tricky. And the retail market was going down because of the imports were coming up. So the, the brand, it's only in the last 10 years that we've, we've resurrected the brand of Ince, created the logo, created uh, a bit of a... I'll call it a, um, one of the corporate a corporate guide, well, just a sort of a list of fonts and, and, and Pantone colours and things yeah. like that for print. So we, we have a corp. It's only in the last 10 years that we've developed that, 10 or 12 years that we've developed that. So prior to that, it, it's word of mouth that would, would, would pass it on, I fear. That there may well be some out there, but I fear we weren't branding. But the old brand name was Ins- Insonia. It's I-N-S-O-N-I-A. So it's Ince and Sons, and then they Latinized it. Ah. So it's not a play on it's, <laughs> it's not a play on insomnia. <laughs> or insignia. Insignia, yeah. But it could be an Ince Sons umbrella. Umbrella. 
I don't know. Lost the time, I'm afraid. It's lost the time. Some joker way back <laughs> 25 years ago or so. Well, no, yeah, quite. So we'll see. Okay, Richard. Mm-hmm. Unless you have any sort of final words or... I don't think so. I want think to encourage so. people to invest in a quality umbrella? Of course. Well, that goes without saying, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just fun to have a, a conversation around the subject and uh, just get in contact, just touch base with other like-minded people and businesses. I have very much enjoyed oh. hearing more about a subject I knew very little about. Okay, okay well, bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, and uh, bye-bye for now. Goodbye. And that was all for this week's episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. My guest this week was Richard Ince of inceumbrellas.co.uk. You can also find them as Ince Umbrellas on Instagram. I'm Nick Johannesson, the host and creator of Gomology Podcast. You can reach me on uh, welldressedad at gmail.com, on Instagram as welldressedad, and uh, the blog at welldressedad.com. If you'd like to get in touch, support the pod, suggest guests, just send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, I ask every week, but no one ever does. I'd be really pleased if you left a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me increase my reach. And why not tell a friend? Share the pod. Share some love. And uh, until next week, bye-bye.